pray with me? Father, you are enough for us. Thank you so much that we are able to gather here this morning and worship you. Lord, as we open up your word, I ask that you can be with me as I, that I can faithfully teach your word. Lord, if the things that I say are of you, I ask that they will be remembered and used. And Lord, if they are not of you, I, was, I ask that they will be quickly forgotten. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's, it's good to be with you today. Um, if you don't know me, if you're like, who's this guy up here? I haven't seen him before. I am Matt. I am the new pastor of students and young adults here at Freedance. Um, I have a wife named Sydney and a daughter who is two and a half, and her name is Hadley, and we are so excited uh, to be here, and it's been such a joy to get to know you guys uh, during our short time here already. Uh, to begin, I want to ask you a question. What do you need right now? What do you need that will fix the problem that you are facing? Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a bigger house, a better car. Maybe it's more money in your bank account. Maybe it's just two hours of quiet in your home. All of us have something in our lives that we can point to and say, if I had that thing, I would be happier. I fall victim to this regularly, and my wife knows this. I'm a sucker for new technology. I'm a sucker for the newest phones or TVs or laptops or any sort of technology. I just find it really fascinating and fun to uh, look at and things like that. And I, I try to justify that thing because I truly think if I had that thing, my life would be better. We're searching for the next best thing. We think the, the reason we are not happy is because there's something in our life that we need. It may not even be a thing. Maybe it's something like social envy, where we're scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or something, and we notice one of our friends is on a really relaxing vacation, and we think, oh man, I could use that vacation. I wish that was my life. Now, the source of our discontentment is deeper than our circumstances. We fall victim to always looking for what's next. So today, I want to talk with you about being content and we're, we're in a series titled Learning Contentment. And last week, Pastor Brandon talked with us about being content in our weaknesses. He also talked about how a good definition of contentment in the Christian life is the rest you experience in your soul when you trust that God's wisdom and grace are enough to satisfy you. It's when we don't feel like we need something because we know that God is enough for you. Today we're going to be talking about how it doesn't matter what we have or what we are going through. Jesus is always enough. So with that, will you please open up your Bibles to Philippians 4, 10 to 19. Turn on your Bibles to Philippians 4, 19. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you, and that is on page 1,182. So as you turn to that passage today, I would like to give you a little background about what's going on in uh, this letter that Paul is writing the Philippian church was the first church that Paul founded while in Europe, and the Philippian church was loved by Paul, and the church loved Paul back. The letter was written while Paul was in prison, and Paul would have been writing these words most likely in Rome as he faced the uncertainty of a trial before Caesar's court. So with that, follow along with me uh, in Philippians 4, 10 to 19. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now in this passage that we're going we're gonna to see three aspects of true contentment. The first aspect of true contentment is true contentment means that we can rejoice with very little. Right off the bat in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul actually mentions earlier in Philippians that he actually was rejoicing while in prison because he realized that wherever he was, Christ was going to be proclaimed. He understood that God placed him in that prison so that people could hear the good news of the gospel. We see him mention this just a couple chapters earlier in Philippians 1.18 when he says, only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, Paul wasn't saying he is enjoying being in prison. He didn't enjoy being chained to a Roman guard for 24 hours a day. Paul wasn't rejoicing in this situation. He was rejoicing in the opportunity that he had to advance the gospel. What brought him joy in this passage was that the church in Philippi was thinking about him and praying for him. The Philippian church here was gifting Paul a gift of money to help with some of his needs. And Paul wanted to clarify with the Philippian church here that his joy is because of the gift he received. His joy has nothing to do with him being able to now pay bills or pay for food or use the gift for some other practical need that he may have. The joy that Paul had was from the heart that was behind the gift. This actually kind of reminded me of a couple weeks ago uh, when I came home from work here at church, and we live just a couple uh, blocks away, and we're, in a, we're renting the top floor of, of a house. Um, so we, the street is on, or uh, the, the door is on street level, and you go in, and to the right is a staircase that kind of goes up to where we live. So I go inside, and I'm about to go up the stairs, and I see my daughter Hadley sitting at the top of the stairs holding something. She says, Daddy, you're home, or so, something along those lines, and it warmed my heart. I was really happy. And then as I walk up the stairs, she says, Daddy, I made this for you. And it's this piece of like blue construction paper, and there are marker lines just on it. She drew something for me. Make no mistake, this is not the Mona Lisa, right? This is not a very good drawing. It's actually probably pretty bad. But it didn't matter that the drawing was any good or not. What mattered is that she made that drawing for me. And you better believe now that drawing is hanging up in our kitchen because it's the most important piece of art that I have. Paul wanted to make sure that the church in Philippi knew that he appreciated the gift, but his joy isn't related to what he gets from his friends. His joy is over their friendship, and their friendship isn't related to what he can get from it. In verse 11, Paul says his joy is not over their filling of his need in a material sense. On the surface of this verse, his explanation looks like a philosophical answer where he says, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul wasn't expecting the Philippian church to send him any sort of gift here. 
He wasn't asking them to send him money earlier. That's not a letter that we don't have. Paul was confident that God would sustain him in the midst of this difficult situation. He was confident because he knew that the times, opportunities, and seasons of life are controlled by a sovereign God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul understood that trying to, trying to control your current situation and worry about every little thing is a losing battle. Since Paul had this confidence in God and his plan, it didn't matter that Paul was a prisoner in a small room chained to a Roman soldier living on a very sparse diet. His contentment and joy was not from having the gift. He says he wasn't in need. He didn't need their, good, their gift. He was good with the nothing that he had. He was so focused on Christ that anything he received was just in abundance. There's this old Puritan prayer uh, people would pray before a meal. They, they would pray, all this food and Jesus? It's a such, it is such a blessing to have our greatest need already taken care of. The greatest need we have is that we are sinners and in need of a Savior. And thanks be to God that Jesus already went to the cross for us. By trusting in him alone for salvation, that is good enough for all of us. He has already saved us. These Puritans realized that they were good with not having a ton of food because their greatest need was already taken care of. Everything else was a blessing that went above and beyond. In our world today, uh, need has become a top value for us. We need or want so many things. We want a bigger house. We want a better job. We need the newest clothing styles. Paul knew that his purpose on earth was not to have his needs met, but it was to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Because he realized that the things of this world, they're going to quickly fade away. He was satisfied with whatever God graciously gave him because his greatest need of a savior was already taken care of. True contentment means we can rejoice with very little. As we move on in this passage, we will see that true contentment does not come from self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. Paul starts off these two verses by saying, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. This is, important. this is an important part of the passage. Paul says, look, I can talk about being content in every situation because I've been through it all. I have had money and I've been in prison. I've had status and I've been beaten up and then left for dead outside of the city gates. What is really interesting here is Paul says he knows how to live a life in abundance and that's not the life he chose. So in order to be content, he had learned to accept whatever may come his way. Paul learned to be content by experience and spiritual maturity to live above his circumstances and not let them affect his contentment. This is important because it is often those difficult circumstances in life that can take away our contentment. It's when we lose everything that we get really depressed. Think back to high school history class and the 1929 stock crash. It was an especially um, difficult time because that is one of the things that actually led to the Great Depression. But there are stories of executives during that 1929 stock crash that at the thought of losing everything, at the thought of losing all their money, they jumped out of their office windows. Just at the thought of it, they had lost it all. And that's the deception right there. That cash, more cash will bring more contentment. If I have a lot, if I have a lot of money, then I will be content. In 2017, Americans uh, spent $70 billion on lottery tickets. 
$70 billion on lottery tickets. In 2017, that's more than Americans spent on sports tickets, movie tickets, books, video games, and music combined. So why so much money on lottery tickets? It's because people believe that there's a chance that they could win the lottery. They think, if I just win the lottery, if I have all this money, I will be good. I will be able to help out so many people, and maybe I'll be able to help myself out a little bit. Well, we've all heard stories about those who have won the lottery and then gone broke afterwards. Is there a story of a man who won $315 million, and he lost it all in four years? You almost have to be like trying to lose all that money in that short amount of time, but $315 million in four years. He talks about kind of what has happened, not just the losing money, but he says, I've lost a daughter and a granddaughter to drugs, who he says has directly resulted to him winning the money. He, was, he got divorced. He was robbed in his car of about a half a million dollars. And he says he doesn't like the man who he's become. He says if he could go back to it, the moment he won the lottery, he would rip up the ticket. Now, these couple of stories and examples show just how much we value wanting more and more. We can get so caught up in thinking that if, I just, if just one thing changes, then I will be content. The reality is we will never be content until we put our faith and trust in Christ as our sole provider. In order for Paul to demonstrate that he was content, he had learned to accept whatever may come his way, knowing that his life was not defined by his current situation, but instead looked to Christ for his contentment and identity. So how has Paul learned to live in both good and bad situations? And how has he learned to live while being rich or poor? being in prison or free, his response is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this verse is probably one of the most quoted verses and probably most misquoted verses in all of Scripture. It's quoted so often by athletes. They love this verse. They have it tattooed on them. They have uh, them, it on shoes. They um, say it after games, after they win a big game. They're like, I did it because I trusted that God could strengthen me, and from that, I did it. Now, only one problem is Paul is not talking about um, being able to achieve personal accomplishments here. I played a lot of sports growing up. I played uh, basketball, football. I wrestled for a little bit, but my favorite sport was baseball. I played baseball my entire life, played on little league, traveling teams, tournament teams. I played in high school a little bit in college, things like that. So I played a lot of baseball, but I remember very specifically being in like fourth or fifth grade. And And while I would be pitching, I might not be doing very well. And I would throw a couple balls in a row or people would get some hits off me. But I remember thinking, I'm going I'm to recite a verse as I'm going. So I, I timed it pretty well. I, I would go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I would time it perfectly where like when I said me, I'd let go of the ball. Um, now that's not what is going on here. That's not what Paul is talking about. Surprisingly, Paul is not talking about Matt Hampson's Little League pitching career. It would have been nice if, it, if, it, if he was, but no. Um, I think that probably only worked a couple times. Like, I threw, like, two strikes afterwards. I'm like, yeah, it works every time, and it didn't work past that. But regardless, this verse isn't about when you win. It's about when you lose. It's about realizing that you can deal with the difficult times because you are not defined by the circumstances of your life. Your value is not in if you won a game or got a promotion, and your value is not in if you lost the game or got overlooked for the promotion, or lost a job. Your value is in being made in the image of God and being saved by grace through Jesus when we put our trust in him. 
Paul reminds us that the reason he can deal with this tough situation in prison and the reason he didn't need a gift from the Philippians is because he knows Christ will strengthen him in the midst of those difficult situations. No matter the difficulties Paul was going through, Paul had support. His contentment came from being in Christ and realizing that being in Christ is more than enough for him. Contentment comes to believers who rely on the sustaining grace of Christ that is given to believers when they have no strength on their own. There's no quick fix, no shortcut to contentment. It comes only to those who look towards what Jesus did for them on the cross. True contentment does not come from self-sufficiency, but from Christ's sufficiency. So as we continue on in this passage and we come to our final aspect of true contentment, we see that true contentment comes from an abundance of thanks. As we look at the rest of this passage, we're going to see Paul talk more about the gift he received in the, in, in, from the church in Philippi. In these next couple of verses, he says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Now he begins this section with the word yet. And this shows that Paul is emphasizing that he doesn't need the material things to be content. But he mentions that receiving these things was still a good thing. Paul is incredibly thankful for the Philippian church. We see in verse 14 him talking about how the Philippian church shared in his trouble. We see him give reasons for why he is thankful here. He is thankful that he has uh, had some partners in ministry for quite some time. He is thankful that he knows that he can go to them and they will help him out when he needs it. He knows that they will be thinking about him and praying for him, sending him money even when he doesn't ask for it. In verses 15 and 16, we see something that showed how much Paul valued the Philippian church. So let's take a look. Verse 15 and 16, it says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, Paul kind, Paul kind of replays all these different various times where the Philippian church partnered together. He is showing uh, the church in Philippi that he appreciates everything they have done for him since the very beginning. In Paul's time, this was about as big of a thanks as someone could give to their friend. Being able to replay the multiple times they have helped out, and, and was, that was a huge compliment, and it expressed Paul's deep gratitude towards this church. They didn't only minister to Paul's need while he was with them in Philippi, they, they also gave him gifts to help out his needs when he moved on to other churches as well. The friendship between Paul and the church is not just any friendship, it's this three-way friendship and partnership. A normal friendship is between two people, but this friendship was a three-way bond that included Christ. Christ is the glue that held that relationship between Paul and the Philippian church together. Every time the Philippians gave to Paul, he saw it as an expression of Christ's love. He saw it as tangible proof that the gospel was at work in their midst. Like we've mentioned earlier, Paul's interest is not in the gift he receives, but is the evidence that their relationship with Christ is strong and it continues to grow. The gift that serves his physical health serves more significantly as evidence of their spiritual health. Paul concludes that money, material support of his own needs is ultimately irrelevant. What counts is God is God doing in the is what God is doing in their lives. 
Their gift serves as evidence of fruitfulness that will help them to continue to grow in their faith. Now, in a materialistic culture like ours, those words from Paul can at times feel a little unattainable. I think often we may look at Paul's attitude about the gift he received, and we think, well, you know what, Paul, like, I'm glad you were content, but you don't know what I struggle with. You don't know how difficult my job is. You don't know how much I am struggling right now. You don't know how hard it is to be around my family. Or maybe we think, you know, Paul, you don't understand how awesome it is to watch TV, watch uh, the, the NFL game on a 70-inch curved OLED TV, right? If you understand how cool that was, you would be trying to obtain one as well. Now, this coming week during Thanksgiving, a lot of us are going to do the very typical Thanksgiving things, right? We're going to wake up. We might watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. We might watch the Lions lose a football game and then two other NFL games go on. We might wa- uh, we're going to eat a lot of food, take some naps, right? We're going to do all that stuff. And then, then not even the next day, later that night, a lot of us are going to go to a mall, go to Walmart, go to Target, go to Meijer, and we will maul somebody over a 10% off microwave. Anybody else see the irony in that? We just spent an entire day centered around being thankful, and then not even a day later, we go and try to get more things that we think will help us be more content. Now, the reality is, and I think many of us truly know this, we know that the more stuff we have won't actually make us content. It won't make us more thankful. Stuff can be fun, but it won't actually give us that true contentment. The only way we can have true contentment is if it is rooted in an abundance of thanks. If we do not have thankful hearts, then we will never be truly content. We may say things like, I am content, but dot, dot, dot. I am thankful, but dot, dot, dot. I am thankful, but my knee just always hurts. I am thankful, but my job is just so draining. I'm thankful, but my family drives me crazy. If we say I'm thankful, but we may not be truly content. Now, being truly content does not mean that those difficulties will go away. We look at Paul's life and him saying he was content and truly being content didn't get him out of prison. So how can we be truly content? Well, we can start by being thankful that our greatest need has already been taken care of. We are all sinners, and we are all in need of a Savior. And thankfully, our Savior has already gone to the cross and conquered death for us. When we understand the importance of that, we will have an abundance of thanks for everything else. Paul realizes this truth. He knows that true contentment does not come from the things or circumstances. Paul essentially tells the Philippian church here, hey, thanks for the gift. I'm not able to give you the same kind of gift, but I promise that God has already filled your needs and will continue to fill your needs. Paul isn't just talking about material needs, but he's talking about emotional and spiritual needs as well. Remember, the church in Philippi was a poor church. Paul says God will richly supply their material needs. When they're in the midst of suffering and persecution, God will richly supply their grace and humility. When they are grumbling and have anxiety about their current situation, God will be present with them as the God of peace. Paul sees clearly that Jesus is the way God has made his love known and available to his human creation. So I want to go back to the question I asked at the beginning. What do you need right now? 
We all could probably do better at being content, and it is so easy to think that we will find our true contentment in things of this world, whether it's a new job, a bigger house, more money in our bank account, whatever it may be. What we truly need is to remember what Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We can go through any difficult situation that may come our way and realize that Christ is enough. Realize that we can have joy and contentment because our greatest need for a savior has been taken care of. And in that, we can give thanks and be truly content. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you love each of us more than we can know. Each of us struggle with being content at times, and we need your help, Lord. We ask that you can give us the strength to love you with everything that we have, and to not seek after the things of this world for our contentment. Help us to rejoice with whatever we have, because we know that ultimately those things don't matter as much as you do. Help us to make you a priority in our lives, Lord. As we go into our final song here this morning, help us to focus on you and worship you and help us to remember that true contentment means that we can rejoice with very little. True contentment does not come from self-sufficiency but only from Christ's sufficiency. And finally, true contentment comes from an abundance of thanks. It's in your sons, let me pray.